to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. While you're turning there, uh, I want to encourage you to go look uh, in our education wing, buildings 1 and 2. A lot of work has been done uh, over there by our teachers, but also some of our young ladies. Uh, one of the activities for Lads to Leaders is bulletin board, and uh, several of our young ladies have made multiple uh, bulletin boards, whether on the wall or on doors, and it, and it looks really, really fabulous. So I just wanted to commend them, uh, teachers and our teenagers, for their work, because uh, it really does enhance our Bible school program. So I want to commend them for that, and glad you're here this morning. Well, we're at the end of our series from 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. These three chapters actually constitute one teaching about how we interact with uh, the world around us in a spiritual sense. In chapter 8, this was all about the Christians at Corinth, uh, Corinth, if you're from here in Sumner County, but uh, the Christians at Corinth misusing their knowledge. Uh, since idols aren't real, they believed, and there is only one God, then we can go into idols' temples, they felt like, and participate in their sacrifices by eating the meat that's there. The temples in that day were basically uh, the restaurants of the day. And the Christians thought, well, idols aren't real, and the gods aren't real, so we can just go in there and, and enjoy some food. Well, Paul tells them that they are wrong in using this knowledge to justify their behavior. And they were actually causing others to sin because they were basically giving approval for that particular behavior. Then in chapter 9 that we discussed last week, Paul teaches that just because we have rights, just because we have freedoms to do certain things, many things, this does not mean that we exercise those rights if our behavior causes someone to sin. We submit our freedoms and rights for the sake of the gospel. And in chapter 10, Paul gets down to the real matter here. He talks to the Corinthians about what they are doing and how them, them even acknowledging that behavior of, of going into the idol's temple at all, that they're actually sinning themselves. You know, Paul does a great job here in communicating his message. He starts off in a very positive way. You know, we have this knowledge, that's good. We have these freedoms, that's good. But you know what? You're hurting the gospel. You're hurting people's Christian lives. And you're not imitating Christ by, by doing this thing. By going into these temples where these idols are. And he goes into this very deeply in this particular chapter. And basically he wants the people to realize, hey, are you imitating Christ? Would Jesus do these things? Would Christ sit in a temple? and eat meat sacrificed to an idol. No, he wouldn't. Not if he thought that it was causing people to believe that it was okay to do such. He would not do that. His behavior would not endorse the practices of a temple. He would be at the door, you know, trying to get people not to go in there to worship that pagan god. Does your regular behavior lead others to Christ or away? Perhaps there's nothing wrong with your behavior. You know, that's the knowledge that you have. Perhaps you can conduct that behavior because you're free to do it. Then that's the freedom you have. But when it gets right down to it, is what you're doing imitating Christ? Would Christ take that liberty with that knowledge? You know what, parents? We have to be careful of what we tell our children about candy, for instance. You know, you probably 
tell your children, sure, you can eat candy, you know, in moderation, poor cookie monster. They had to teach him that it was a sometimes food, couldn't eat cookies all the time. Because you know what kids were doing? They were eating cookies all the time. They were eating candy all the time. Because whenever they hear candy or cookies is a sometimes food, when you say that, what they hear is, I need to put down a whole packet of Oreos tonight. That's what they hear. Humans are funny like that. We have knowledge. We have the freedom to do something. Let's go exercise that. And we never consider the fact, is it good for us, number one, which is really what he gets into in this chapter, and is it good for those around us? So Paul is really bringing some clarity to our minds, and the first thing that he gets into is this fact. Idolatry is easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. Let's look at that, verses 1 through 11. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Paul's talking about the children of Israel in the great exodus from Egypt. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul wants to show these Christians how easy it is to idolatry. In chapter 9, he talks about being disqualified. Long story short, if you are a Christian, you can live in such a way that you can be disqualified. Because what does a person do? They become a Christian, they devote their lives to Christ, and then they go and say, well, I'm just going to live however I want to live. They're disqualified when they do that because there is an element in Scripture throughout, throughout Scripture that talks about being faithful, remaining faithful until death, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Well, here Paul has addressed this issue of you can be disqualified. Let's look at our, our, our Israelite friends who came out of Egypt. What did they do? They had all of these great spiritual blessings. They had all these great spiritual blessings, but what happened to them? Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. They had all of these spiritual blessings. All these things at their disposal. Moses was there. They had the Ten Commandments. They had one another, they had all these spiritual blessings, and yet, God was not pleased with them. Why is that? For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they would crave. Now, it's worthy of note that only two men from the adult generation that left Egypt came to the promised land. They fell spiritually and they fell physically as well. In other words, they passed on. There was a great deal of time as they wandered in the wilderness because God was not well pleased with them. So what happened to them? Why wasn't He pleased with them? Well, idolatry, you see, was the problem. We so easily categorize idolatry as worshiping created things made of stone or metal or of wood. That's what idolatry is. We don't have that problem today. Oh, but we do. Idolatry is a tremendous issue in our world today. We've not melted our gold and made a calf. We've not done that. 
but we have put other things above the knowledge and wisdom and teachings of our Heavenly Father. And that, my friends, is idolatry in its purest form. You don't have to have something that you can point to or, or hammer out, but you have something that you put before God. That is idolatry. Verse 6 again. Now these things happened, right? The history of the Israelites happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Paul is referencing, of course, their worship of the golden calf. And this is really what idolatry is all about. It's not about gods and images, but it's about proclaiming that we have something before us that we can worship, and now we can do what we want. Look at verse 7 again. Do not be as idolaters as some of them were. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play in the shadow of the calf. Why? Because the, the, that calf's not going to do anything to them. Now they can eat what they want, they can play how they want, they can do whatever it is they want, because that golden calf is not going to be their final judge. This is our God, they would say, rather than their Heavenly Father who would tell them, do not be disqualified, do not follow sinful pleasure, do not live as you would want to live, but live as I have instructed you to live. But they said, no, we don't want that, we want to do what we want to do. That is what is happening today in the secular world and among Christians as well. You know, you can, you can come to worship here and, and you can sit in the seats, you know, just like in, in the Israelites' time when they came out of Egypt, just like they would proclaim that, yes, they loved God, but then what did they do when they went in their tents? What did they do when they went home? You know, they lived as they, as they wanted to live, not purposeful for God, for what He would have them do, but for their own selves. And they were following that idolatrous life as we can just as easily today. Verse 8. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. So again, this is because of the golden calf. And in verse 9, He's referring back to Numbers chapter 21 where God sent a plague of snakes on the people. With this type of behavior, the people were telling God that they did not trust Him to take care of them. So they had to erect this idol so they could do what they wanted. What does Scripture teach us? It does not teach us to worry. Scripture does not teach us to worry and fret over tomorrow. It does not teach us those things, but rather it teaches us to rely on God. And what do we do? We do not rely on God. We develop an idol in its place so that we can live and worry and do as we please and not have faith in God who can take care of us. That is the idolatry of today. When we turn from God and worry about something else and do something else and put something else in front of Him, that is the idolatry of today. As people look to their own so-called wisdom, to their own so-called cultural views, political views, or what have you. Because if it is not from God, then it is idolatry. And you are following that because you want to do what you want to do, as the Israelites did. Certainly, them making the golden calf was not what they should have done. But Paul is calling them on their actions. He says, don't act immorally, as the Israelites did. 
And they suffered for that, verses 8 and 9. Verse 10. Nor let us grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. In verse 10, we see that grumbling and complaining is also at the heart of evil, because if God wants you to trust in Him, and you don't, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to grumble. You're going to complain. You're going to wonder where God is, and then turn around and wonder why your life is in shambles. God is sending us a message in the Scriptures here. Look at what happened to the Israelites. They turned from me, and I sent things to them that that were the consequences for their actions. If you're still down, if you're still just um, depressed, or whatever adjective you might use to describe your current state of mind, ask yourself, am I truly trusting in God? Or am I depending on something else, my idols, myself, to get me through these difficult times? We must see that idolatry is so very easy. Because following God takes commitment and takes discipline. Obeying our desires is easy. And idolatry is ultimately the worship of oneself. Back to verses 6 and 11. Verse 6 says, these things happened as examples for us. These are examples. Verse 11, these things happened to them, to the Israelites, as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We are to learn from what is going on with the children of Israel. We are to learn what is going on with the Corinthian congregation here so that we don't fall into evil cravings, so that we don't try to justify our own behavior based on our own lack of knowledge or what we think is true knowledge. We must not exercise our freedoms and say, I want what I want. But rather, we've got to see that sometimes we worship at the foot of a golden calf so that we can live immorally, so that we can say what we want and say, well, we have the freedoms, we have the knowledge. If you don't have God, you don't have any of those things. You are bound to sin, and you are a slave to that. And you're living for the devil if you're not living for God. I saw this the other day, and I thought it rang true. The gospel sounds very strange to anyone who has been told they are perfect, that loving themselves is virtuous, that their heart is always right, and nothing is more important than being happy. This is the idol. This is the God of today. Because what did Job say? Job still stayed with God throughout his difficulties. Do you stay with God throughout your difficulties? Or do you turn to a metaphorical golden calf because you're not happy or because you're being told that you're wrong through scripture or some other thing the gospel can seem very strange to someone with this mindset well Paul thankfully of course gives a warning verses 12 and 13 therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he does not fall no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Very famous passage. Actually, the passage that started this full story of these three chapters. I've read that those two verses hundreds of times. But then looking further into the study, what is Paul trying to get across to these people? In short, be careful. 
because you're not as strong as you might think. These Christians did not think they had an idolatry problem. They had knowledge. They had Jesus. So, what's the harm in going into a temple and eating some meat to an idol? What's the harm in that, Paul? Well, Paul's message here is that this is the kind of thinking that can lead to a spiritual disaster. We know you're smart. We know you've got freedoms. But be careful of how you are living your life because you are engaging with people that can lead you down a wrong and sinful path. And never, of course, treat temptation lightly. Verse 13, we see this. Never think that you don't have a problem with sin or temptation and then allow yourself to be exposed to that circumstance because that's how we end up living in sin. That's how many people end up having affairs because they didn't think it was a problem. They didn't think it was an issue to talk to that person for so long or, or to send those text messages. And before they knew it, we didn't know this was happening. It's happening all along. It's happening any sort of sin that you might get involved in from the very small start that got it going. So how often do we put ourselves in bad situations that could easily be avoided? How often do we allow ourselves to be tempted to obey our sinful and fleshly desires by putting ourselves in a tempting situation? Paul is saying that we need to get away from it. Take heed that he does not fall. You think you're strong, but you've got to be careful of it. You know what? A lot of people trying to diet this time of year. And so they've got to start saying no to things. But what do we sometimes say yes to? You see that Krispy Kreme light on, right? You're going to go to it. You're going to go to it, but that temptation is just so difficult. And that applies throughout all the sinful, lustly desires that, that will keep us away from Christ. Glazed donuts, probably not going to do it. But all the sinful desires that you can think of right now, that you're dabbling in, that you look at on the internet, that you watch on television, those sinful desires can pull you down a bad path. And I, I love the verse, of, verse 13 here. Let's read that again. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. These are temptations. The Israelites face them. The Corinthian church face them. We face them today. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. We forget about the escape part. We think we're just going to white knuckle and, and muscle through the temptation. But in reality, there's something else you've got to find yourself doing. Rather than saying yes to that temptation, I'm going to sit here and look at it, and I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say no. You can't do that. If friends that you know you get in trouble with say, hey, let's go out on Saturday night, and you know things aren't going to go well, teenagers, you know things are going to go the wrong way, what's the way out? The youth group activity. That's the way out. Your Christian friends who asked you to go with them, that's the way out. Staying home with your family, which is so important, that's the way out. There's a lot of ways. we just got to find it. we got to recognize it when sinful temptation comes our way. Next, 
verses 14 through 22. Very powerful part of this passage. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. Don't go to the restaurant. Don't go to that temple that acts as a restaurant. Don't eat that meat. I speak as to wise men. You be the judge of what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Verse 14, in other words, don't figure out a way to stay in the sin. That's what people try to do. They hear the message of Christ. They say, I want you to come to Him and be that new person. Become that new person in Christ. And they say, well, do I have to give up this? Do I have to give up this? Let's, let's talk about that later is what I'm thinking because I want you to know who Jesus is. And when you truly know who Jesus is, you'll want to do away with all that other stuff. You'll want to be done with it. Okay, let's have that conversation. Let's find what Jesus means to you and what He can mean to you. Let's get into His life and how He can bless you in this life today. So don't try to figure out a way to stay in idolatry. Flee from it, verse 14. Verses 16, 15 through 18. I speak to you as wise. We read verse 16. He's bringing up the Lord's Supper. And in the next chapter, he actually expounds upon the Lord's Supper even more. But, but he's, he's bringing this around. Okay? They were eating meals in pagans' temples. And now he's making a comparison with the Lord's Supper. He talks about the blood of Christ. He talks about uh, the bread and the body of Christ. Verse 16. Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? He's trying to tell them, hey, we take the Lord's Supper. The Israelites, they took a part in the altar there when they were worshiping God. That's important, isn't it? What we must do in this case is consider how your behavior is interpreted. When you're here, you're taking the Lord's Supper. What's that mean? I'm a follower of Christ. When the Jews participated in the temple, what did that mean? In their temple, the temple to God. That means they were Jewish people, and they were following Him. How is idolatry in a pagan temple any different? As you sit next to those people who, who believe in this pagan God and who worship Him, you're like, well, that's a good ribeye, ain't it? That's what the people were probably thinking in those days and neglecting the fact that what their behavior was showing those who worshipped there was that, well, you must think this is okay. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a follower of Christ. I thought you, was the only, you believed there was only one God. Why are you here in this pagan temple not bringing Him up at all? Because that, that's kind of what it boils down to. Why are you in here effectively worshipping with us? Verse 19. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the, Gentile, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. How you believe in Christ, they believe in those demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't worship both. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? Why are you going in the temple? 
You're supposed to be worshiping Christ, but you're going into this pagan temple. Why on earth are you doing that? If you participate in something, that is non-verbal at a minimum approval of that behavior. So we must be very careful of how we spend our time for that very fact. Paul says, don't try, don't try to explain stuff away. Don't try to explain your, your behavior away, but ask yourself, how is this affecting my relationship with Jesus and how will that affect the relationship of others? And lastly, he says, you know, let's use some common sense. He gets down to the practical matter now, verses 23 through 30. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So, you can do things, but not all things are good. Okay, there's a lot of things you can do, but not all things are things that you should do. So, let's keep that in mind. Verse 25, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So, he's, he's raising an important question. Paul's really covering his bases here. So, well, Paul, does that mean I can never eat meat? Does that mean I've got to be a vegetarian? No, not at all. Go buy the meat in the market. Don't, don't start asking a bunch of questions, though, about where it comes from. The person might not know. It might be sacrificed to idols. You know, some of this is down to your conscience as well because what you believe and think is important. Verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go... Eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. So if somebody asks you to go eat with them, and you know they worship in that pagan temple, then, then go ahead. You know, be a, be a gracious guest. Go ahead and be with that person. Because Paul, Paul's been in this a long time. He's been in this long enough to know that when he lays out, you know, advice, rules, directions from the Holy Spirit, people are going to find a way about it. All right, so... Now I'm just not going to go try to convert anybody. Because that's what people would be saying. Lord, I thought you wanted us to go into all the world. How can I reach these people if, uh, if I can't go, go and eat with them in the pagan temple? Well, you know, you make a good point. And Lord, how can I live in this earth, on this earth in the 21st century and not convert people if I'm not around them? And that's a good point. But don't say that you're going to some place where you know, sin and debauchery occur and you, you come out more like those people. You see, which way is the direction, is the influence moving? That's the question. If you want to go down to some place where people are partying and, you know, having a, quote, good time and want to talk to them about the Bible, you know, we could do that. We could go to those people. But all too often when people go to those places, the influence is coming into them and Jesus is being pushed out. And that's what Paul was warning the people about here. Verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. So go ahead and eat it. Or, or not eat it. He, he's just so detailed here. This meat sacrificed to idols. Do not eat that. Don't eat that meat because you've got to hold up to your principles all that I've been talking about in this chapter. And I mean not your own conscience, but for the other man's. Because if you eat that meat, remember, you're giving approval of it. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Then in verse 30, if I, partake with thankful, or if, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered 
concerning that which I give thanks. So we should be thankful for all that we see in this world because it's all been the Lord's. You know, the cow, it was the Lord's when it was in the field, and it's the Lord's when it's got barbecue sauce on it. But what message are you sending, Corinthian Christians? What message are you sending if you eat that meat knowing it was sacrificed to an idol and not condemning that? You're sending the wrong message. Paul is trying to get across to us. And we want to be polite. We want to be cordial with people. But let us never promote another person's sinful lifestyle. And Paul finally ends with four points that sums all this up. Because we've covered a lot in the last three weeks. We've covered a lot. and under, I hope you brought some clarity to this, especially with the passage of watching how you're tempted and watching how you answer people who might be living a sinful lifestyle that you don't approve with, but perhaps you can influence them to follow Christ. And four points I'd like to end with. Verse 31. If whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul's brought up a bunch of interesting points. Do I eat? Do I not eat? I don't know. Well, at the end of the conversation, if you can say what I did was meant to glorify God, then you made the right decision. Verse 32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Do not cause others to stumble. And by stumble, I don't mean they just don't like it. But don't cause them to lose faith in God. Don't cause them to fall away from Christ, to be disqualified. And don't you be disqualified either. Then verse 33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Lastly, do not seek only what you want, but what others need. So when these difficult questions arise today, for whatever the subject matter might be, in this day and age, in the first century, it was eating meat, sacrificed to idols. That was a big issue. Today, it can be many, many other things. So whatever you do, though, do not seek only what you want, but what others actually need. And we're going to go on over into chapter 11 and verse 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. As we consider our behavior day to day, there can be many debates, many questions raised as to whether or not someone should participate in particular activities. But if the person can lay their head down at night and say that they did these four things, I believe God will be pleased with them. In reference to the golden calf, we can read in Exodus chapter 32, and about what Moses contended with with these people. As many were not, of course, following God at that point, they turned their faith, their, their worship to this idol. Verse 25 of Exodus 32, Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, remember what we said earlier, because of this idol in their life, the people were out of control. For Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. The Lord asked the same thing of us today. Whoever is for the Lord, 
come to me. If you're not a Christian and you want to be for the Lord, you want to stop living an idolatrous life where you do whatever it is you want to do, living that sinful life, come forward this morning. Let us baptize you and the Lord will add you to His body. Or if you are a Christian and need prayers of forgiveness, prayers of strength, come forward and let us assist you with that as well. Won't you come now as we stand and sing? Yeah.